This week, we're moving on from our discussion of the mutual fund market to now learn about exchange-traded funds. But first, since we've had intercession and a bit of a break, let's recall the impact of the mutual fund tidal wave. Between the late 1960s and roughly 2000, what we saw was huge inflows of savings from investors into the mutual fund industry. The democratization of investment, basically allowing middle-class investors to get into the game for the first time. Banks jumping into the business with their new in-house mutual fund families. Insurance companies also jumping in to get a piece of the mutual fund action with their new segregated fund products, which we're going to talk about next week. And basically the rapid expansion of the mutual fund industry around the developed world. But as this growth was taking place, the industry began looking for the next innovation. During the 1970s and 1980s, as the mutual fund industry blossomed, a dominant feature of this expansion was the growth of indexing, or what we've talked about in past classes called passive investment strategies. In response, innovation focused on a variation of the basic mutual fund. It combined features of a passively managed mutual fund with complete liquidity of real-time trading, just like equities on a stock exchange. Thus, the concept of exchange-traded funds, or ETFs, as they are now commonly known, came to life. But here's an interesting story. During the mid-1980s, early development work on a ETF-like product was going on in both Canada and the United States. In 1989, in the U.S., the structure of what was called at the time an index participation share was created. It was an initial attempt to create an ETF-like product that would track the Standard & Poor's 500 index. And it was quite successful. It received significant investor interest. However, as we know, regulation is an important feature of the financial industry. Somehow, for reasons that are not quite clear, the concept ended up in a federal court in Chicago. What happened is that the court ruled that this new structure, this index participation share, as it was called, was really more like a futures contract, which we have talked about, rather than a tradable equity product. And the result was these index participation shares were not allowed to be listed on a New York, on a U.S. stock exchange. However, in parallel, research continued in Canada. And the next year, in 1990, the Canadian effort succeeded with the Toronto 35 Index Participation Unit structure. Now, note the slight difference here. The Canadian product is a unit. The U.S. product was a share. And think about our mutual funds, the difference between corporate and trust structures with their shares and their units. The Canadian product here was structured as a receipt-based instrument. Basically, it allowed investors to participate in the performance of the index. At the time, it was the Toronto Stock Exchange, known as the TSE 3500. But here's the key point. It allowed participation without actually owning individual shares of stocks listed in the index. 
Bingo. The legalities of the structure worked and the new industry was off and running. That year, 1990, the first ETF in the world was launched right here in Canada. Here's what's happened briefly since. 1993, the first US-based ETF was launched successfully, following the Canadian model. By 2000, the world's first ETF bond fund was launched again here in Canada. By 2009, the global ETF asset base reached $1 trillion, only 19 years after the first ETF was launched here in Toronto. In 2018, the global ETF and related exchange traded product category assets hit $6.5 trillion, invested in almost 7,500 different funds around the world. This year, 2022, in Canada, ETF assets will total roughly $158 billion in roughly 600 different funds. So what we have seen is a second massive wave of investment opportunity following closely on the heels of the first mutual fund phenomenon. So now we're up to date on the growth of the ETF business. But what's going on right now? There's lots actually. But here are a couple of interesting trends that are happening. You remember, you may remember the, uh, the NEO exchange back in one of our earlier weeks talking about the new sort of entrepreneurial related exchange that has launched in Canada. Over the past year or so, the, the NEO, the NEO, was leading a pilot program to offer mutual fund advisors real-time ETF data as well. So what we can see going on here is the beginnings of a consolidation of both mutual funds and ETF products with licensing for a single sales force. The initial pilot project included 5,000 investors with IG Wealth Management and Sterling Mutual Funds as the test. Why was this done? Well, as Joseph Schmidt, who is the president of the, e, uh, the NEO exchange explained, the real-time ETF data is needed to properly serve client needs because ETFs trade real-time. Stale trading data, like you get with mutual funds, which are only processed for a new net asset value per share at the end of every day, that doesn't work with, e, with the ETFs. As he says, stale trading data prevents the best outcomes for clients. Roughly, the NEO exchange processes 20% of all ETF trading volume in Canada, but it's easy to see the next move here, right? Expanding this pilot project from the NEO exchange onto the big TSX platform. So that's one thing. Here's the second big trend to think about. A fellow by the name of Joe Sertivan is CEO of Toronto-based Galabriere Capital. And he's noticed an unexpected effect of the growing power of passive ETF investing. He believes, believe it or not, that passive ETFs are actually causing greater market volatility. And you have to remember here, passive investing is supposed to only mirror an underlying index with the representative securities 
in the ETF fund in the same proportion as the index, right? It's just, so mirror. But Mr. Sertivan believes that passive ETFs are becoming so popular, the strategy is now influencing the price of securities in unexpected ways. And here's a quick example of what he means. Shopify, it's a big darling on, this, on the Canadian stock exchange right now, right? In the Canadian market. So let's assume that Shopify currently represents 7% of the TSX index in, in a weighting in terms of capitalization. Then if you're a passive ETF fund, for every $100 that flows into the fund from investors, $7 or 7% must go to buy Shopify shares, regardless of the price. That's the underlying uh, model for the ETF. It has to mirror the exchange. So in this case, in the case of Shopify, its share price has actually ranged between $1,250 and roughly $1,850 per share since early 2021, say the last year. The $100 flows in, the fund buys up to 7% of Shopify's weight, which is $7. What Mr. Certivan believes is that this flow of money without regard to the intrinsic value of the shares tends to push up the valuation of the shares higher than would normally be justified. In other words, he sees passive ETFs creating bubbles in certain stocks, which may eventually blow up and end badly. If he's right, passive investment strategies like the bulk of ETFs out there can have the effect of becoming a price maker rather than simply a price taker. It's an important observation for investors to be aware of.